I just got a short message I'd like to bring to you called, The Kingdom of God is Within. The Kingdom of God is Within. And we can find that in Luke chapter 17 and verse 20. Luke chapter 17 and verse 20. When Jesus was asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, here it is, or there it is. For remember, the kingdom of God is within you. The Pharisees were asking about when the kingdom was going to come, and what they were asking is, when will we see God reigning? When will we see God reigning? And of course, in, in those days, they had a very physical understanding of the kingdom of God. These Pharisees, the disciples did too as well. Eh? They, they found it very difficult to understand the nature of the kingdom of God. They thought Jesus was going to be a king and get rid of the Romans. And the Pharisees too, they, they thought that they would see something historically that would prove to everybody around that God was, had brought his reign, his kingdom. They thought David was going to come back, the Messiah. And they thought that the Messiah would be a warrior king. Well, we were singing about Jesus being a warrior king earlier, weren't we? The lion and the lamb, which is a beautiful picture of Jesus. Because if you know Jesus as the lamb, then you're, you're going to really, really understand who he is. But don't forget, you also need to know him as the lion. And getting to know him as a lion is wonderful because it's quite scary. You don't mess with a lion. Uh, I remember in the, in the book, that wonderful book on Narnia, you know, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And Aslan, the lion, he is the picture of Jesus. And he dies and, ra and is raised again and, and everything like that. And I think it's Lucy, I can't remember which one. I think it's Lucy, one of the girls. And, and um, the, uh, the beaver, Mr. Beaver, is telling her about Aslan. And it's the first time she's hearing about Aslan, the lion that represents Jesus. And, um, it, and she, she asks him, she said, well, is he safe? And I think many times Christians might think about Jesus as being safe. We've just come out of Christmas, haven't we? You know, the nativity plays, Jesus in a manger, all the kids at schools, if the schools are still open to Christmas, you know, with their tea towels on their heads as shepherds and everything. And, and oh, baby Jesus, ba baby Jesus. And um, uh, uh, <laughs> there, was, there was one, um, that reminds me of something I saw, there was one children's um, uh, nativity play. And um, uh, one of the shepherds, one of the little shepherds, a little tiny kid, and he had his things on, and, and he got the words wrong. Um, and, and instead of saying, we must, having seen the angels, we must now go to Bethlehem, he said, we must now go to Birmingham. <laughs> I thought that was, it was just that everybody laughed, it was hilarious. We must now go to Birmingham, Bethlehem, Birmingham, you can understand. But, but um, you know, and, 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 you know, you think Jesus, Jesus, you know, oh, he, he, you know, sometimes people can get so gooey about Jesus. You can be gooey about Jesus, that's all right. But some people get, they, you know, they get so familiar with him, and you must be familiar with him. But, but they, 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 they have no idea about the fact that he's the king of the universe. And they have great intimacy, but very little fear. What we need is 
great intimacy and great fear. Now, when I say fear, I'm not talking about negative fear. Perfect love casts out fear. We're not talking about being scared in that sense, but being scared by the might and awe of his roar. And so Lucy, I think it's Lucy, says to, uh, think, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver says, who said anything about him being safe? But he is good. And that's a beautiful phrase in the book because it speaks about the kingdom of God and the king. Jesus is not safe. He is not predictable. And he can do things that will turn your mind upside down. You can't second guess the Lord. That's what I've been learning. You can't second guess the Lord. You can't, oh, he'll do this and then he'll do that and then he'll do the other and he's got plans all worked out. And, well, he has and I know all about them and I'm expecting. You can't second guess the Lord. And sometimes he throws things all up and all out and all around in order that you don't trust your circumstances but you trust him. And so the uh, Pharisees here, when they said, when would the kingdom would come? They thought they, they were asking the question, but they were expecting to hear the answer that they already had. And uh, N.T. Wright, Bishop N.T. Wright, speaks about this passage and says that, that what these Pharisees were doing when they were looking for the reign of God, they were looking for tangible, this-worldly points of reference. In other words, they were looking for a Messiah to get rid of the Romans. They were looking for the Israel nation to increase. N.T. Wright puts it like this. He says, if Pilate was still governing Judah, then the kingdom of God had not come. If the temple was not yet rebuilt, then the kingdom of God had not come. If the Messiah had not arrived, then the kingdom of God had not come. If the pagans were not defeated uh, or flocking to Zion for instruction, then the kingdom of God had not come. So they had this exterior expectation that politically, militarily, geographically, these exterior uh, signs of really what human kingdoms do, they were expecting God's kingdom to be like a, a human kingdom. David and Goliath and all that all over again. But Jesus told them that that is not the way to discern how God works, how God reigns. And when we're speaking about the kingdom or reign of God does not come with observation. Jesus isn't saying that we can't discern the rule of God or how God is reigning in our circumstances. But what he is saying is you're looking in all the wrong places if you think that God works politically foremost to bring his kingdom about, or militarily to bring his kingdom about, or financially to bring his kingdom about. Of course, he cares about those things. But actually, the reign of God, the rule of God, how God exercises his kingdom is something that is within. The disciples weren't looking within. The Pharisees weren't looking within. And this word, the, there, there, it says, nor will they say, here it is or there it is. For remember, the kingdom of God is within you. Now, this phrase, within you, it can mean three things. And I think all the three things are, are, are valid. The Greek word is hentos, within, among, 
inside. And so the first thing that Jesus, I believe, is teaching us about the work of the Holy Spirit, because remember, the Holy Spirit is God's executive on earth. Remember, Jesus is not on the earth, bodily speaking. The Father is not on the earth in some sort of like physical way that you can go and visit him. But the Holy Spirit, he brings us, the Father and the Son, he is the executive of heaven on earth. Everything that happens by the will of God on the earth, every extension of his kingdom, every command that takes place on the earth comes about by the activity of the Holy Spirit. That's why it's good to get to know him. That's why it's good to seek him. That's why it's good to have him increase his influence in our hearts and mind. So when we speak about inside, all these Pharisees were looking at circumstances. And they were saying, when circumstances change, that's the kingdom of God. When the temple's built, that will be the kingdom of God. When the Romans are thrown out, that'll be the kingdom of God. When there's a Jewish king on the throne of Israel, that will be the kingdom of God. They were looking outwardly for God's reign to come when they should have been looking inwardly. This is the whole theme of the Sermon on the Mount. The Pharisees are constantly thinking about outside, where Jesus is constantly pointing them inside. The Pharisees thought that it was enough not to steal. But Jesus said, hey, but if you desire somebody else's things on the inside, you have stealed. The Pharisees said, well, it's enough not to commit adultery. But Jesus said, if you desire to commit adultery, then that's, that's the issue. It was things that were going on the inside. The Pharisees loved to make a show of everything on the outside. They liked to bring in their big charity checks for everybody to see them and put them in the local paper because they wanted external validation. When they prayed... They didn't pray at home when there was nobody about. Why would you pray at home when there's nobody about? What you want to do is pray when you've got a big microphone and lots of people to hear you. Because then at the end, everybody can say, wow, that was an anointed prayer. They were thinking about external things. But Jesus said, shut the door. Nobody will know that you're there. And then when you pray to God, it'll be an inner thing. And that will be acceptable. When you give your charity, don't make a big fuss about it. Just know that God sees what's done in secret. So the kingdom of God often comes to begin with in secret ways. Why? Because the kingdom of God's main work is in our inner lives, in our thoughts and our hearts and our intentions. It, the kingdom of God is like a seed. Nobody can see it. You plant the seed in the heart, it disappears in the soil of your heart, but it's doing something. It's like kids at school. When you want to teach kids how uh, little tiny tots, how seeds germinate, then uh, you've got to give them the quickest germinating seeds possible, which is usually mustard seeds. Do you ever remember getting a little uh, plastic cup and a little um, uh, cotton um, stuff, and then you put the seeds on and pour a little bit of water 
And then very soon, after a few days, and you know what kids are like, they put the mustard seeds in, they pour in a little bit of water, and it's there on, on, on the cotton wool, and uh, they go out for break, and they come in and wonder if it's grown yet. So you can imagine how a child putting it in the ground. And, how, and, and so, so often what God is doing is at first hidden. A hidden work of the Holy Spirit. A seed. The kingdom of God and how God reigns is also uh, likened to yeast. Or what the old, the old uh, uh, word for it is leaven. Yeast. And you know how yeast works in bread and how it spreads throughout. You can't see the yeast, but you put it in and invisibly it's working itself right through. So the kingdom of God also is like yeast. And when it's preached and when people open up their hearts to the Lord, the kingdom of God begins to spread in us and through us and from one to another. It's, it's contagious. So God works from the inside out. As we're embracing a fresh move of the Holy Spirit. And you say, why does God do a fresh move of the Holy Spirit? Why doesn't he just do a fresh move of the Holy Spirit all of the time? Because then we wouldn't appreciate it. And also, if he had a fresh move of the Holy Spirit all of the time, then the times when he wasn't doing a fresh move are as important as the times when there is a fresh move, because when there isn't a fresh move, what happens? God's people begin to hunger and desire for a fresh move. So when there isn't a fresh move of the Holy Spirit, that's a great, I don't know about you, but I've been longing for a move of the Holy Spirit. And that longing is as important as when the Holy Spirit comes. And I've learned more about myself and more about God, and I've grown in that longing, in that time where you're seeking for the rain to come, and it's not coming, but you're seeking, you're desiring, God is doing a great work of the Holy Spirit in you. So that when he does come, there's a great appreciation of it. Uh, there's a greater stewarding of it. So God has been working in many of our hearts. If you felt that you've been dry, if, 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 you've, if you thought, where God, well, God, where are you? If, if you've wondered when the breakthrough is going to come, or, or, when, or, or, or is it ever going to change, those things are not negative. And you shouldn't feel bad about those things. They, that is God working a deep preparation in you so that when the Holy Spirit decides to move in power in your life, you will be so ready for it, so grateful for it, you'll enjoy it, because, and you won't, you, won't, you won't be spoiled by it. And so God is working. And I tell you what, in these days, there's going to be such beautiful flowering. Use that, had that as a predict word earlier, of your hearts, all right? Your hearts, however wonderful and beautiful they are now by the work of the Holy Spirit, are going to become even more beautiful. You are going to flower as a Christian in a great, great way. And as you do it, you're going to find out, this is who I really am. And God's going to help us with the things that aren't who we really are, that pull us down and keep us back, and the attitudes and the works of the flesh that we all struggle with. God's going to help us in this time. And when he helps us, we'll be so appreciative because we remembered the times when we really struggled with it. But God has given us more grace, as Colin has been saying. But because we know what it was like not to have more grace, when we get more grace, we're so grateful. 
God knows how to get us into a position so that we can enjoy his grace. You really enjoy the good times if you've been through the bad times, isn't that right? You really enjoy good food when you know what it is to have bad food. You really enjoy a good, nice coat that keeps you warm if you haven't been able to afford one and you've been freezing. It's amazing how not having prepares you for having. It's amazing how going through difficult times makes you appreciate the peaceful times. So if you've been going through difficulties, well, God is at work in your difficulties, but not just to deliver you from your difficulties, because every trial has an hour when it ends, but also he's preparing you for something better and deeper. The most important thing is that on the inside of our lives, things get better. I can't promise you that every week your circumstances will get better. But I can promise you that God is working so that every week what happens on the inside gets better. In fact, when it's difficult on the outside, some of his best work is done on the inside. There's things I never want to go through again in my life that I've been through in the past. But at the same time, I am now, that they've ended, grateful that I went through them. Why? Because something beautiful took place on the inside of me and, I'm, and, I, and I came out of it as a better flower. I came out of it closer to the Lord. I came out of it more the Bruce that God wants me to be. The Christian life is just simply a process of self-discovery. You are discovering who you are. And there's some beautiful aspects of who you are and I hope you're in touch with the beauty of you that God has done, and the, and, what, and the changes that God has done in your life. And you say, you know, I'm so pleased that I'm not like I used to be. I've changed on the inside. Well, it's not that you have changed. It's just you've discovered who you really are, and there's so much more for you to discover. So the kingdom of God works on the inside. So during this season that we're, we're going into, and these seasons can last for years, by the way, as we go in, Say, Lord, when you're worshipping, when we're praying for one another, when we're seeking him, remember that God's kingdom, his authority, his work, uh, his, his, um, uh, uh, his reign is expanding on the inside. And if you're aware of it, you'll be that much better to cooperate with it. Secondly, as well as the kingdom of God being in the midst of you or within you, as Jesus said, you can also say that it's, it's in the midst or it's within your grasp or possession. Remember, Mark's gospel especially brings this out in the first chapter of, of, of Gospel of Mark. Jesus comes and the first thing he says is, repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, repentance has been totally, well, not totally, but feels like it has, totally uh, misrepresented and mistaught, especially in Pentecostal churches. And repentance becomes almost a negative thing of being beat up by the preacher until you feel so bad and then you call to the front to weep tears uh, before the Lord. Not, not, uh, and these tears are not tears of repentance, they're tears of, tears of condemnation. And then you're told to go out and do better. 
So you come to the front feeling bad about what you are, because the preacher told you what you are and what you've done. He's named every sin you could possibly think of and more. And, and you come down and you weep because you're such a failure, you're such a this, that, and the other. And then the preacher says, repent. And then you go away and you try and fix all the things that, that, that are wrong with you. But the problem is you can't fix it. But you try your hardest. But the harder you try, the worse it gets. Because the law is in operation, not grace. But repentance, repentance is the most joyful, beautiful phrase in New Testament language. Because it's an invitation to come out of darkness and into light. It's an invitation to be healed from the things that are holding you back. It's an inv invitation for positive change to come into you. Repentance is not a negative thing, focusing on negative. Repentance is coming out of the dungeon. Repentance is having chains broken off you that have been holding you down for ages. Repentance is allowing you to flower and shine. And, and so repentance, so when Jesus says repent, he says there's an opportunity for you. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So as well as God's kingdom working in you, you can also reach out and take it. You can reach out and take the kingdom. You can get handfuls of the kingdom. Think about that. Wouldn't you like to go in and get handfuls of the kingdom? Can you, can you imagine? I, I remember that a program on TV, and, uh, and, it, and if you got to a certain point and you won it, they gave you a big trolley, a big shopping trolley. And you had something like two minutes in like a big Safeways or uh, Sainsbury's or whatever. You got two minutes and you could have... In that two minutes, whatever you could get in that shopping trolley, you could keep. And it was always funny to see these people, and they were like, they were going through it, like trying to get everything that they could into it. Uh, um, uh, God's kingdom, you can go in and you can take. You can take by prayer. You can take by faith. You can possess. You, you can say, I need some of that. And the God is working on the inside, but the kingdom of God is at hand. You can have handfuls of it. Go in and take, go into God's treasury and begin to take handfuls of God's blessing and healing and power. It doesn't all come automatically, but you can go in and you can apprehend God's kingdom by prayer. Prayer is the hands that grab the promises of God's kingdom and bring them down to earth. Prayer is your shopping trolley. And so prayer is a wonderful thing. And in these seasons, ask. Why? And it'll be given to you. Seek. And you will actually find. Knock. And the door will actually be open to you. It's an invitation. It's not some, oh, I have to pray, I have to pray. Oh, nothing's going to go right if I don't pray. It's wrong. It's like, wow, look at all the things that are available in Jesus. I want some more of that. I want to experience more of it. Thank you for God's grace right now. But there's so much more that Jesus paid for on Calvary. I mean, talk about the supermarket. Jesus paid for the whole supermarket. You don't need a credit card in God's supermarket of the kingdom of God. You go in, you take what you want, and there's some devil demon comes up to you and say, are you going to pay for that? You say, Jesus has paid for it. You can go into the supermarket of God's provision, God's promises. It doesn't always come automatically, 
They're seeking and seeking and asking and asking. But when you do it, the kingdom of God is at hand. There are things God wants you to experience that won't just happen on the inside. You're going to have to rise up and take it. You know, there's a promised land for you, but you have to enter it. A beautiful promised land for us to enter, but you have to actually enter it and kick out the giants that are there. That's an active. And then finally, uh, the kingdom of God is inside you. The kingdom of God is, with, is, is at hand. And the kingdom of God is among you. This is recognizing that God is among us. You know, the problem with the Pharisees was they didn't read. They're like, they were like, you know, uh, when will the kingdom of God come? And it's like, he didn't say it. But it's like, he's here. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus. Is he could have said, when will the kingdom of God come? Jesus, he's here. He's in the midst of you. He's right. They're looking at this, that, and the other, and they've got their eyes off Jesus. And the kingdom of God is literally staring them in the face face. The king of kings and the Lord of lords, staring them in the face. And they don't discern him within his midst. And the kingdom of God is in the midst of us.